I want to talk about the curse and the covering. We're just going along through Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, 16 to 24 is our text today. Talking about the curse and the covering. A sign on the convent read, Absolutely no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Signed, the Sisters of Mercy. That sign reflects a problem Christians wrestle with, namely confusion about the relationship between God's grace and judgment. Some say that God is so gracious that He overlooks our sin. These Christians pride themselves on their tolerance and acceptance of everyone, no matter how terrible their sin. Their theme verse is, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. You have others who emphasize God's judgment of all sin. These believers are stern and judgmental like their God. Their theme verse is, prepare to meet thy God. But here's the thing, neither side reflects the full biblical picture of God. The first group stresses God's love and grace but loses sight of His holiness. The second group emphasizes His holiness but loses His grace towards sinners. The biblical picture is that God is both loving and holy, gracious and righteous, merciful and just. And since our view of God affects the way we live and treat others, we have to be careful to reflect the same biblical revelation of who God is and how He deals with our sin. And so this morning as we continue to look at Genesis chapter 3, it gives us the proper view of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, and we looked at that last week some, God didn't strike them dead on the spot as His holiness alone would have required. But He also didn't say, that's okay, don't worry about it at his, as His love alone may have allowed. But rather, God dealt with their sin as a serious matter, but He also imposed the penalty their sin required. He demonstrated grace. He confronted sin, but He was also gracious. He was truthful in confronting their sin, but He was also gracious at the same time and restored them to fellowship with Him. In this chapter, and especially in these verses that we're going to study this morning, we're going to see that there are consequences for sin, but there's also a covering for sin. Aren't you glad for that? That there are going to be consequences for sin, but thank God He provides covering for sin as well. And we've got to keep both of those aspects in tension. Because we're living in days of hang-loose Christianity where we have to remember you cannot sin without consequences. Grace doesn't nullify the law of sowing and reaping. You're going to reap where you have sown. That if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. But we're living in a day where Satan is trying to tell people that you can sin and get away with it. That you can sin and nobody else will know about it. That you can sin and there's not going to be any kind of consequence. That you're not going to suffer. You're not going to struggle. But the Bible says that if you sow, you're going to reap. There will be suffering and there will be struggles and there will be consequences for your actions. But we've got to also remember God is gracious. And that even with the consequences, sometimes the full judgment of those consequences may be lessened because God is gracious and merciful. In my life, there have been times when I've sinned against God and I've had to suffer the consequences, but in His mercy, it wasn't the full force of the consequences I could have gone through because God was gracious. Amen? 
Aren't you glad that sometimes even when the consequences come, it's not the full load of the consequence? Amen? And so this morning I want to give you two principles, two truths from the text that we look at. First of all, God allows us to suffer consequences for our sin. We see this in verse 16 to 19. Last week when Adam and Eve sinned, God graciously sought them, confronted them, and offered the promise of a deliverer through the seed of the woman. It was gracious because Adam and Eve deserved judgment, not a promise of deliverance. But then God deals with the woman and the man. And you'll notice that God didn't curse them directly as He did the serpent. He, but He does impose penalties for their disobedience. Even though God forgives the, the ultimate penalty of their sin, He still allows some of the consequence to continue. And we've also got to understand that the penalties imposed on them not only affected them, but every person in history after them. In other words, their rebellion and their disobedience is still affecting us today. You see, all sin is like that. In other words, we never sin in isolation. Even sin done in secret affects other people. Listen to me. This talk about what goes on behind closed doors between consenting adults, not being anybody else's business, that's nonsense. Sin always affects other people, not only in this generation, but also in generations to come. When you sin, it doesn't just affect you, but it affects, it affects your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. It'll follow you all the days of your life. When David sinned against God by committing adultery with Bathsheba, it affected his kids and his great-grandkids. He had what you would call a dysfunctional family because of his adultery. Amen. It didn't just affect him, but his entire family. Sin is never done in isolation. It's not just something you do and you have to deal with. Others around you will be affected. Amen? And so let's look at the curse as applied to the woman there in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Ladies, if you've ever had a child and had to experience the pain, you can thank Eve. You can thank her. So the curse as applied to the woman, it applies to two areas. She's going to experience increased pain in childbearing. And she's going to have a new relationship with her husband in which he is said to rule over her. So the first, pro, uh, the first part of it is that she's going to have the physical pain of childbirth. It's going to be magnified. It's going to be increased. And here's the thing. Even with all of the modern techniques and technology, childbearing involves pain. And the lady said, Amen. You, you, listen, you, you, you can get the epidurals in your back and you're still going to know that you're having a child. And if you're like my wife and with Christy, when she was born, Christy came so fast that she couldn't get an epidural. And I wasn't there. I was on the way home from Tennessee. So I got to see Christy after the fact. And then Joshua, I didn't get to see that either. That was an emergency C-section. Isabella, where was I at? Was I? 
I, I was in every one of them, thank the Lord. But if you've ever had a child, ladies, you know what it's like to experience pain. And it's, it's a part of the curse. All because of their disobedience is a part of the curse. What should have been a joyful thing, something that shouldn't have been as painful as it is, because of their disobedience, ladies, you now have to experience that painful, agony thing. Now, but here's the thing. Jesus talked about that after the pain, once the child's come, it's a joyful thing. Amen. But part of the curse is that there's a magnification of the pain and intensity because of the curse. Now, one reason God may have increased the woman's pain in childbearing was to give us an object lesson of the pain in which God would have to endure in order to bring about spiritual children. Think about that. That God would have to be separated from His Son and see His Son go to the cross. Maybe that's a reason that God increased the pain of birth. Because God would have to be separated from His Son. In fact, when Jesus hung on the cross, what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had to turn His back on His Son. And maybe it gives us an object lesson as to why God intensified the pain of labor. Because God was going to have to go through some pain of seeing His Son down the cross. But not only did it affect childbearing. And let me just say this. Not only does the birth of a child bring pain, but raising a child brings pain. Does it not? When they disobey you, and when you see them go out in the world and make dumb decisions, and you see them ruin their lives at times, it brings pain, doesn't it? But not only childbearing, but the relationship a wife has with her husband is part of the curse. You see, it says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The same word for desire is used in Genesis 4 verse 7 of the desire of sin to master Cain. So because of the curse, Eve would have to defy a desire to master her husband. A desire that works against God's ordained order for the home. Because she usurped authority from her husband by eating the fruit, she is cursed with the inclination to dominate him, but he is ordained to rule over her. Think about that. God ordained that the man be the ruler of the home. But when she disobeyed God and ate of the fruit, now she's going to have this desire to not want to listen to her husband, but to dominate him. And now God says, as part of the curse, you're, he's going to rule over you. But she's going to have to fight this desire to want to rule over him. Because she usurped his authority. Think about it. That's why Paul talks about wives being submissive to the husband. The order got rearranged when she disobeyed God. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. She's got to fight that desire. I mean, just think about history. Women have fought for rights to try to be free, to be liberated, and to do their own thing. And listen, I, I, I'm not trying to be masculine. But think about it. Try to be independent. Why? Because of the fall. But God set up an order. That the man was to be the head of the home. That he was to be the headship and the ruler. And the wife was supposed to complement that and come along and be a helper. 
But when she disobeyed and rebelled, now her desire was to be for her husband and he was to rule over her. And now she has to fight that desire. <laughs> That's the curse as it applies to the woman. There's another application of this, that word desire. It can also refer to a sexual desire. That she'll have a desire for her husband. That, 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 that's part of it. That there'll be a sexual attraction that she would want to her husband, which would lead to that pain in childbearing. But let's talk about the curse as applied to the man, verse 17 to 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Adam sinned not only by eating the forbidden fruit, but by allowing his wife to have dominion over him. God said there in verse 15, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, because you heeded the voice of your wife, and I talked about this Wednesday night, whose voice are you listening to? The, the voice you listen to determines the direction and course your life takes. And because he listened to the voice of his wife more than the voice of God, we're in the mess we're in today. Amen? When you, when you listen to the wrong voice, you get in trouble. Amen? How many has ever gotten in trouble because you listened to the voice of somebody else? I have. And because Adam listened to the voice of his wife, he ate of the fruit that he wasn't supposed to eat of. He should have stayed with what God said. And we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in today. Now listen, sometimes husbands listening to the voice of your wife is a good thing if it lines up with what God said. But anytime the voice of your wife contradicts what God said, you better stay with what God said. Amen. You see, Adam abdicated leadership to her, deliberately disobeying God by setting his wife above God. Now here's what I want to say to the men in the house. God holds the man accountable for the direction a family goes. You'll notice in the scripture that the eyes of the man and woman were not open until Adam ate of the fruit. Read your Bible. Eve ate the fruit and nothing happened. When Adam ate of the fruit, it says their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. Why? Because he was the head of the home. He was the leader of the family. That's how God ordained it. God holds the man accountable for the direction a family goes. And yet most Christian men are passive when it comes to the family. You go in most churches today and you've got more women than you do men. I'm just calling it like I see it. Because it's the reality. You go to most churches today, and who has most of the positions and who's doing most of the work? It's the women. That's just the way it is. Most Christian men don't take responsibility to train the children. And yet it's God that's going to hold the men responsible when we stand before Him. Listen to me, men. Fathers. God's going to hold us accountable, not the wife. When we stand before Him. When our kids are, if, if our kids are lost and don't make it to heaven, He's not going to hold your wife responsible. He's going to hold you responsible. He's going to hold me responsible. We're supposed to train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. 
Should we do it together? Yes, I believe we should do it together as parents. But ultimately, it falls upon my shoulders and your shoulders. Because God put us as the head of the home. And yet so many times, we try to pass it off to the wife. And listen, there's nothing wrong with delegating sometimes, but sometimes I'm afraid instead of delegating, we want to dump things on them. I I know it's getting quite... Wives, you ought to be elbowing your husband a little bit. Because here's what we do, man. I've been guilty of it. We, we, We get focused on making a living, earning the money, and let the wife raise the kids. Let the wife teach them. Let the wife bring them uh, spiritual things. No. We should train them. And when problems come, guess what we want to do? Let's blame the wife. When we stand before God, God's going to look at us. Why didn't you do better? You've heard me say this before. If, If I were to win all of Jefferson and lose my family... I have failed as a father. When Noah built the ark, Noah was the last one on the boat before the door shut, and he made sure his wife and his three sons and his daughters-in-law were on the boat. He was a preacher of righteousness, and I'm sure he was preaching to the community around him, but his family was on the boat. If we don't reach our family, men, we have failed. I've got to move on. My time's getting short. But the curse for the man, it applies to the ground. We're going to have to labor. We're going to have to toil. Now listen, work's not part of the curse. Work should be a blessing. We're commanded to work. If a man don't work, he don't eat. But we're going to have to sweat. We're going to have to labor. We're going to have to toil. The ground is cursed. Listen, the earth is in a mess because of the fall. The earth is groaning. What Paul talks about, the earth is groaning. The second part of the curse as it applies to man is the affirmation of physical death. God God told Adam in the day that you eat, you're going to surely die. Yes, there was spiritual death, separation from God, but the process of physical death began the day that Adam ate. And we've all got a certain amount of time on this earth. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. These bodies are going to wear out. These bodies are going to break down. For we, we've come from dust and to dust we're going to return. That's what God told Adam. You're going back to the dust from which you came. Listen, death is not an accident. It is an appointment. It comes to all of us. You cannot escape it unless Jesus comes back and we go in the rapture. It's coming for us. It's part of the curse. And so we can spend our lives working towards certain goals and trying to reach certain dreams and trying to make certain provisions and trying to do all of these things. But here's the thing. In a moment of time, you can leave this world. Because death is certain. Death is certain. There's no respect of persons. Young, old, rich, poor, all of us are going to face death. The curse shows us that God allows us to serve consequences for our sin. 
And sometimes God graciously, He tempers the severity of the consequences with glimmers of grace, but the consequences are real. They got banished from the garden because they disobeyed God. And even that was gracious. Because God said, hey, if they, if they take of the tree of life, they'll be stuck in this condition forever. Now think about that. They would have been stuck in a sinful condition forever had they taken up the tree of life. It was grace that God put them out of the garden. Which leads me to point number two. God provides salvation from sin's ultimate consequences. At first glance, verse 20 and 21 seem out of context, but I believe they fit perfectly. We see first of all, letter A, salvation is through faith in God's promise. Look at verse 20. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. After the words of verse 19, you would expect something like Adam called his wife's name the Grim Reaper because she was the mother of all the dying. But instead, Adam calls her Eve, which means life giver. Think about that. Eve means life giver. She's the giver of life. But what's even more strange is this. Eve hasn't had any children yet. It's not until chapter 4 that she bears Cain. So what does that verse mean? What does verse 20 mean? It's Adam's response of faith to God's promise to send the Savior through the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15, I'm going to send a seed that's going to bring a redeemer, a deliverer. And so God names her Eve, the life giver. It's a response of faith. God, you said you're going to bring a deliverer. You're going to bring a victor. You're going to bring a redeemer. And so I call my wife Eve, a life giver. And she hadn't bore a son yet. She hadn't bore a child yet. It's a response of faith. You see, Adam believed God's promise that there would come forth from the woman, one who would bruise the serpent's head. And by faith, Adam named her Eve, the mother of all living, before she conceived. Think about that. You see, salvation is now and always has been by faith in God's promise. Listen, salvation's always been by faith. Always been by faith. It's never been by the law. It's never been by keeping rules. It's never been by following rituals. It's always been believing God's promise. It's always been by believing, putting faith in what God said. Before Jesus Christ came into the world, a person's faith looked forward to the promised Savior. And now since Christ has come, faith looks back to the Savior who came. But God has always granted salvation in response to a person taking Him at His word. It's not by keeping commandments. It's not by rule keeping. It's not by trying to outweigh your bad by your good. It's simply by taking God at His word. And that's what Adam did. He took God at His word. And at that instant, he was delivered from the ultimate consequence of his sin. Eternal separation from God. But look at letter B. Salvation is through God's provision. Look at verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. This verse shows us how God met the practical need for clothing, but it goes beyond that. It's a beautiful illustration of what God would do through Jesus Christ. And it shows us four things. First of all, man needs a covering for his sin. 
We need a covering for our sin. If not, we stand naked and exposed before God. We stand guilty and ashamed and condemned before Him. We need a covering for our sin. But secondly, man's attempts at covering himself are inadequate. You'll remember that Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together to try to hide their nakedness, to try to hide their shame, but their fig leaves wouldn't do. Amen? And I told you last week that any attempt we try to make to cover our sin, it's bound to fail. Our good works will not cover our sin. Our fig leaves will not cover our sin before God. Anything we do to try to cover our sin before God, it will not work. All the good works in the world can erase our sin, which is the problem. Listen, if you're here today, your problem is sin. My problem is sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of his standard we've all got a disease and it's called sin and there's no amount of good we can do to ever get rid of that problem we all have leprosy and our fig leaves will not cover it up but God provides a covering which leads to number three only God can provide the covering we need for our sin notice that God takes the initiative in properly covering man God takes off the fig leaves and clothes Adam and Eve with animal skins. Adam and Eve did nothing. God did it all. Listen, you didn't have a single thing to do with saving yourself other than accepting what God did for you by faith. I want to say this, you can't receive God's salvation as long as you offer Him your fig leaves. We have to let Him provide everything as He has in fact done in Christ. He gives us everything. Think about it. He draws us unto Himself. He gives us the faith to believe. Number four. The covering God provided required the death of an innocent substitute. I think we can assume Adam and Eve probably witnessed the slaughter of these animals. It probably shocked them. Probably the first time they'd ever seen death. As they saw the animals, maybe lambs, having their throats slit, they probably gained a new awareness of the seriousness of their sin and of the greatness of God's grace in providing for their sin. They learned that without the shedding of blood, there is no adequate covering for sin. Hear me. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And they understood that God would accept the death of an acceptable substitute I want to say to you today you're either standing before God clothed in the fig leaves of your own good works or you're clothed in the righteousness which God provides in Jesus Christ the only way you can hope to gain entry to heaven is to accept the covering of God's off, God offers through the death of the Lamb of God that's Jesus you won't get there by your good works you won't get there by your own merit you'll get there covered through what Jesus did as a lamp slain before the foundation of the world. It's Jesus, plus nothing, minus nothing. It's Him and Him alone. Amen? So in closing, because of the fall, we're all under the curse of sin. What they did, it affected every single one of us. 
And today you're either standing before God in the fig leaves of your good works, or either you've come to Christ the Lamb of God, and you've allowed Him to cover your sins with His shed blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what washes away our sin. The blood of Jesus. And I believe there's still power in that blood. Amen? That it still covers, and it still flows, and it still cleanses. Along with the curse, God provided the covering. And today, you need to make sure you're under God's merciful covering. Today, you're not sure where you're headed. You need to make sure before you leave. If you don't know your sins have been forgiven, if you don't know your sins have been covered, if you don't know your sins have been cleansed, you need to make sure today before you leave, if not, you're under the curse and you're on your way to an eternity separated from Him. But today God has made a covering. Today God has made a way. And His name is Jesus. And if you'll by faith receive Him, He'll cover you and He'll cleanse you. You can be a new man. You can be a new woman. You can have assurance. One day you'll spend eternity with Him. I don't know about you, but I'm glad He's covered me. Amen. Would you stand with me all over the house? Sister Janice, if you'd come to the piano.